Morning. Has everyone got a seat and sitting comfortably? I'm Bronwyn Maddox. I'm director of the Institute for Government, and I'm delighted to welcome you here this morning to this discussion on Grenfell Tower, how to run the public inquiry. We, um, after the, uh, the horror at Grenfell, we uh, sat here in the Institute and thought, what could we uh, do about um, raising the, que the question of how to run an inquiry? It's something that the Institute has done some work on in the past, and we're, uh, after this event, going to begin a short program of work led by Emma Norris on looking at public inquiries and how to make them better. And it's part of what we do as, uh, as part of uh, holding government to account, our accountability uh, strand of work, if you like. But it seemed to me, as I, you know, I said on the, the BBC shortly after um, the, uh, the, the tragedy, that whatever the inquiry finds, it's possible to say that in some sense Grenfell was a, a catastrophe of government and it is absolutely the kind of thing worthy of um, the most penetrating kind of inquiry. The, the question is though how to hold that and as we know there are many many views on, uh, on how to do that. The inquiry itself begins formally tomorrow. So I'm delighted to have uh, here the panel to uh, discuss this. Um, Sir Paul Jenkins um, uh, on my right, who's now an associate member for Matrix Chambers from 2006 to 2014. He was the UK's uh, government's chief legal official. He is not uh, here to represent the government. He's here to give his views on how inquiries work and can work better uh, in his capacity as um, now as an independent advisor on such things. On my left, is uh, Victoria Vasey, who's been the director for a year now of the uh, North Kensington Law Centre, which was set up um, about 50 years ago, is that right? One, one of the earliest law centres to represent the community there, uh, some of the poorest people in that neighbourhood, and to give them make, uh, legal representation or make sure that they can get access to it. She was previously legal director of the European Roma Rights Centre, and before that a practising criminal barrister in London. And on my far left, I have Chris Cook of the BBC's Newsnight. I was uh, part of um, a double act speaking in the Speaker's House in the Commons last night where one former distinguished minister said, ah, oh, Chris, uh, it, 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 the bane of all our lives, we were terrified of him. Uh, there is no greater compliment in my book. Um, so welcome to, uh, to all of our panel. Paul is going to kick off with this. Um, and I've asked him to talk just briefly about the aims and the limitations of inquiries, and indeed this inquiry, and we'll go on to the terms of reference. I'm going to bring in the others too very quickly. I know there's going to be a lot of questions, and we will um, leave good time for that. Paul. Thank you, Bronwyn. I think, think one of the difficult things about talking at, at seminars like this is, as you realise, most public inquiries of this nature are, tri are triggered by something absolutely dreadful. Um, and there is a danger when one talks about the mechanics and processes of inquiries that somehow it comes across as rather too clinical. And I think we should all remember what, what has triggered this inquiry and why we're having this discussion. And if at times I come across as a bit clinical and analytical about the process, I think it's very important to remember the context in which I'm doing that. Um, 
There are many types of inquiry. There are public inquiries, which is what the Grenfell Tower is. It will, I imagine, be a fully public inquiry. There are private inquiries. A lot of what I do, I'm doing one for the Care Quality Commission at the moment, which is an internal inquiry into something that's clearly gone wrong, but the report will be published. So that's a different thing. Um, there are statutory inquiries, like inquiries under the 2005 Act, the real big ones, and there are non-statutory inquiries. And the critical difference between statutory inquiries and private inquiries and non-statutory, non on, on the other hand, is, is the powers as much as anything else. Um, an, inquiry, an, an, an inquiry under the 2005 Act has all the powers that anyone would need to do a really forensic investigation. They've got the power to compel witnesses to give evidence. They can put witnesses on oath. If you fail to attend, you can be punished, and I think it's in the same way as in contempt of court. So the focus here very much on Grenfell and on the fact that it is, it is the best sort of public inquiry we've got in terms of powers, in terms of breadth. Um, the aims of inquiries in general, I think one could put it quite simply, actually, I mean, and I'm a great believer in having this in terms of reference, you know, what went wrong? I mean, you don't have an inquiry if there's a doubt about whether something's gone wrong in general. Um, you can have inquiries that look, about, look at things that might be about to go wrong, but they're fairly rare. Um, generally, something's gone wrong, so it's finding out what went wrong, um, finding out why it went wrong, and then, in a phrase that I loathe and refuse to allow in any press release about an inquiry, I do, but it's quite convenient what lessons can be learned. Uh, I think the better way of looking at it is making sure that, it, that something's gone wrong, that they're not going to go wrong again in that way. And I think at its simplest, that's what it's all about. There's another aspect to it um, which isn't talked about as much and which I think, I suspect, with something as dreadful as Grenfell Tower is, is, is probably irrelevant. But a, a well-run inquiry can play a part in the healing process. And I think you'll immediately understand you know, why, certainly at this stage, it, it's almost inappropriate to talk about the healing process in the context of Grenfell Tower. But let me look at something rather more, rather more historic um, to make my point. Um, one of the worst inquiries in, 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 in all my time around was Bloody Sunday 1. Um, I was only at school, but I remember it as a bad inquiry. It did not contribute at all to the healing process. It exacerbated the problems. Fast forward to Bloody Sunday 2, the Savile Inquiry, which gets a huge amount of criticism for taking 13 years and costing goodness knows how many millions. 195 million. Pardon? 195 million. Thank you. I can never remember the figure because it's too extraordinary. Incidentally, just, just to speak up in favour of Mark Savile, would he have needed to have done an inquiry that took 13 years and cost that if Widgery hadn't done quite such an extraordinarily bad job um, all those years before? But to, going back to my point about the healing process, I don't pretend it, it, it healed, healed the anger and the grief of the, of the victims at Bloody Sunday. But when David Cameron stood up at the end of the Savile Inquiry and did what David Cameron's really, really good at, which is the public apology bit, they got an apology. And that plays a small part and can play a small part in the healing process. The limitations, very briefly. Um, the, the, the 2005 Act makes it clear the inquiry cannot make findings of civil and criminal liability. And we're going to talk later about the criminal 
the, the interface between inquiries and criminal issues. But inquiries get very complicated and quite difficult when there are where the possibility of criminal proceedings hovering around. Um, Brian Leveson, who I work very closely in terms of setting up his inquiry, um, handled it extremely well, but it was comparatively easy to handle that because there were so many examples of, of alleged egregious behaviour by the media that weren't going to be the subject of prosecutions that he could take those on one hand and look into all those without straying into what Rebecca Brooks might or might not have done, and that was still floating around. But um, a different example, um, I worked very closely with, with the former director here, Peter Riddle, on the detainee inquiry, the Gibson inquiry, into the detainees at Guantanamo. Um, that wasn't doing great work on the healing process because it was a secret, it was, a, it was going to be conducted a lot in closed hearing. Um, the alleged, the alleged, pe the people who had allegedly be ren been ren subject to rendition um, wouldn't cooperate, the NGOs wouldn't cooperate because of that. But it went wrong, it stopped because David Cameron stood up in Parliament when the Libyan detainees um, came to light and said, I'm going to add this to the inquiry. There were police investigations just getting going. And Peter Gibson, who was running the inquiry, basically had to stop it um, because it wasn't going to produce a report, be able to carry on for years. And that's an example of where crime, potential crime, can get in the way. They're, so I said they're less good also where there are difficult national security issues at stake. That's not a case, I'm sure, at Grenfell Tower. Um, but um, where they need to hear a lot of material in closed session, where they need to use those um, exceptional provisions in the 2005 Act that apply, allow restriction notices. Um, some of the Northern Ireland inquiries ran into the ground because people wouldn't participate where there were restriction notices, restrictions on what could and couldn't be said. The real risk is that they can raise rather than lower suspicion. Um, they don't have to be judge-led. I mean, as a lawyer, I always think, you know, send for a judge. It's the, it's the way to do it. Judges are fantastically good at many, many things. Um, and they are particularly good at hearing evidence, teasing out evidence with their team of counsel, and finding out what went wrong. If, you're, if, you, look into, if you want to look into broader social issues, you know, the overall effect of housing policy over the last 20 years, um, Certainly if I was a judge, if I was a lawyer, I'd, I'd keep quite well away from that. That's for other people, that's for social historians. If you look at the laming inquiry um, in the aftermath of the terrible thing that happened to baby P, that was, a, that was a generic inquiry into looking at the way that social services looked after children in, the, in, the, in this country. And that's an example of someone who wasn't a judge, and it was a, it was a more discursive inquiry, and it, it was a good inquiry, I think. It was a good result, but it's, it's a different type of inquiry. Um, they also, finally, on what works well, um, their limitations, they work well, I think, if they have a very specific focus. One of the things that can go really wrong, in my view, with an inquiry is when it, when it has a very wide focus and it produces hundreds of recommendations. Not because ministers are deeply cynical creatures who don't want to do anything and they can bury the report if there are 250 recommendations, as I think there were in Robert Francis' report on, um, on South Staffs, but because actually it's just the, the product of the report loses its focus 
just finally on this. I was interested when I was doing a bit of research for this, this today, I, I discovered that uh, Michael Bichard, who did the inquiry into Soham, employed a script writer to um, sort of, I suppose, what we'd have called in the Iraq days, sex up um, his report. I'm not recommending it. Um, but it is interesting that he, he focused in, as a, as a former civil servant rather than a lawyer, on the media and the message that he wanted to get out at the end of the day. And Brian Leveson had, had a, a, a media advisor. Um, finally, um, you wanted me to talk briefly about the terms of reference. Yes, because yes, I think it's going to be inseparable from the discussion. Uh, yeah. We're just going to plunge on. But really briefly, whether, uh, how you think terms of reference should be set and whether you think Grenfell, the Grenfell Inquiry has got them right, something we're going to develop in, in, in a second. Grenfell, I, I, look, I looked at them um, a couple of days ago when you told me mm. that there was a very strong Grenfell focus here. They've changed a lot from the start, and I think they're really, I think they're really as broad as they, as they could possibly be now, bearing in mind what I said about um, the need for focus and the need to avoid distort, um, di diluting that focus by going into the broadest um, social policy issues. So I think they are quite good now. They, they, I mean, they... they they look in, they've, inevitably, they look at all the technical stuff, and I think there's a real risk. Chris and I were talking about this before, and, and Joshua were talking about this before. The danger that the necessary work, which is generic work, you know, what is wrong with the building regulations? How did this happen? Is it a problem across the country? That will detract, as far as the survivors are concerned, from what went on at Grenfell Tower, and I think that is something that... If I was involved in the inquiry, I would, I would want to keep very clearly in mind. It's a vitally important thing that they do, but it not um, in any sense leaving the survivors um, feeling that um, you know, somehow they're, they're coming second best to construction and use regulations, building regulations, all that sort of thing. Um, I think it's, it's, it's greatly to be welcomed that um, the terms of reference now extend to um, the... the what Kensington, Chelsea and various other people were doing beforehand, how they responded, if at all, to the concerns that residents were, were raising before all that, <laughs> looking at how they handled the, um, the events on the day and in the weeks afterwards. I think those are hugely important issues. And I think coming back to where I started, which is, 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 is the survivors, the victims... Um, understanding what went wrong, not just why the building went up as it did, but what part um, those whose job it was to keep them safe had played, if any, I have to keep an open mind, if any, in the building going up in that way and in so many people losing their lives. That, I think, is crucially important. And I think that's okay. what the inquiry can do now. OK, well, Paul, thanks very much. I think there's going to be a lot of response to that. Let me just uh, remind people of the terms of reference you don't have them in front of me, in front of you. Um, so, so Martin Morbick's uh, letter to the Prime Minister said it, it will cover, among other things, not only the fire itself, but matters such as the history of the building, its most recent refurbishment, the state of building and fire regulations, and aspects of the relationship uh, between the residents of the tower and the local authority, including in the days immediately <laughs> following the fire. It doesn't, uh, something we'll come on to, cover the question of housing policy, about which there are strong feelings. Victoria, you've... Um, immersed in much of this at the moment. What do you make of um, uh, how, how this inquiry has set its terms of reference and do you think it's going to achieve some of the aims that um, Paul has set out? 
Okay, I think, I mean, a, a, lot, a lot of things to address there, but in specifically um, with regard to the terms of reference. Um, I think the focus of the inquiry is, is, is necessarily wide. It has to be wide. And I understand um, the imperative of, of, of keeping focus, um, but that focus can be wide if it is well organised and structured. Um, and I don't think that a well-structured um, inquiry with plenty of pertinent advisers inputting into um, the parts where the chair may not have um, the greatest experience and expertise um, needs to fail for being rangy. Um, my, my strongly held feeling is that this can only work if it does look at the broadest possible um, and what, what do you mean by which the would Which would include, specifically on the terms of reference, which would include um, housing policy and social policy. I think that's inextricably <coughs> part of what is actually already in there, which is the relationship um, of the um, residents with the TMO and with the council. That is born in part of, of the policies that have been developed over many, many, many years. Um, not entirely, um, but in, in large part. Um, I think um, broadly the terms of reference are, are good and I think there is scope in there to, to develop some ideas, but that, can, that will only happen if there's really a will to do that. Um, I think another part that is missing um, is the aftermath. Um, it's in there in very, very narrow terms. Um, a, few day, a few days are referred to. Um, the aftermath and the way that um, residents in the wider community have um, been treated and have been able to participate in processes has really exacerbated and extended, actually, the trauma of the fire. And I see that also as an integral part of the exercise of learning lessons. I might not like to use the phrase, but you know, this has to be part of what it is the inquiry tries to do. Mm. So I think th those two parts for me are missing and, and I think they are of, of, you know, of basic importance to making this work. Um, and right. also, yeah. And we'll, we'll come on to how they might be addressed, um, if, not, if, if, if not here in a, in a second. Chris, what do, you, what do you make of this? So I think from, a, from my sort of end of the forest, the, there are, I think I might some of the things that Paul said, that the, some of the things that matter in an inquiry are not just, if you like, um, the, the legal argument and the, the conceptual and logical and legal arguments that have raised. It's sort of things like we talked before about theatre and that, how that was used at, uh, at Leveson to effectively do a bit of the retribution. I don't think there's any prospect of theatre doing any of that work here. Yeah, but, the, but the, that's, not, that's not what we're looking for here. But the, the, the ability of the inquiry to produce what might be a very, very, very wide-ranging report that covers all of these issues and then produce effectively a summary or make recommendations that are narrower for public consumption that become effectively the, the most salient conclusions. Something I think we can, we can underestimate. The government does this all the time. It'll produce quite a long report that considers a wide range of things, but the presentation to the public is at one point within the report. And so you could use that to square off the needs to touch on all of these wide-ranging things 
and to give a sort of clear, clear crystallised view to the thing. So I don't think I think some of these things can be dealt with by savvy media uh, relations and, and savvy thought about. I mean, maybe we end up producing a document for local residents and a document for for the rest. I mean, there is a the building. It really seems very unsatisfactory, you know. Well, I mean, there so are different. different there are different sets well, there are two different audiences. Yes. So I mean, yeah. maybe that's just just acknowledge this and go with it. I'm struck that the the building regulations review has effectively already announced it's going to do that. They they said we want a review of building regulations, but we want a particular thing that's going to be sent to people in tall buildings mm. so that they understand what's going on. And maybe that's the way to square these multiple horses, so we don't end up with a sort of sprawling 96 volume report um, that people don't feel satisfied by. I think it's worth stressing at the moment that there are, again, from, my, from our perch, there are huge numbers of unknowns still out there. The decision to call the public inquiry very quickly after the event meant that um, the capacity, like what, what we know about it publicly, um, still comes from a relatively narrow range of places. There's still a very large number, we're very aware of the fact that a very large number of actors in this who have remained entirely silent, on or off the record, from very early on in the process. And what, so, what kinds of people do you mean? I can't really tell you that, because <laughs> <right>. otherwise <laughs> you'll be able to see who I don't mention. Um, but the, we're very aware of the fact that the capacity of there to be something very surprising, I think, is quite high. So, and the, the, in the context of um, the builders, for example, Chris, sorry, I mean, that's just a degree to, to coy for, for helpfulness. I mean, do you mean... Oh, I see, so Do you mean res residents or do you mean... Oh, I mean, um, I mean, I mean, I mean contractors yeah, yeah, and, right. and yeah. like there are... You'll be, you'll be surprised at how little we're getting from people you've heard about a lot in the... In the well, not necessarily surprised, what? but, but in anyway, thanks. That, that it's not a... It's uh, a yeah. Yeah. This, this potentially goes into one of the big issues, which is the relationship between the inquiry and crime, I suspect. Do you think that the people we're not hearing... From much of being told by their lawyers, yeah, they keep are. quiet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought it was. No, quite any people, get people that who out. might get banged up, <coughs> yeah. are are not are like or or are, um, are not speaking yeah. basically. Yeah. All right. Let's let's come on to this point, um, which is an obvious one and hanging right there uh, in front of this. That there is going to be uh, in parallel with this uh, a criminal investigation. But they, I mean, I think, and, and, and how do you actually do that at the, so, same, so, so, at the same time? So just finish that yeah. previous thought. Right. The, the, I think we may be underestimating the capacity to which there is a, there are thunderbolts that can emerge that will make all of our discussion fairly, fairly anodyne. If there is an email that says, "Yeah, I know this is pretty flammable, but let's stick it up anyway," right? That's it. That's what. That's you know, that's going to be the public reception, and you know. There is a huge amount. There are huge numbers of these. I think we underestimate the extent to which, in lots of the conversation about the, the inquiry so far, we've underestimated the extent to which we still don't know a lot about lots of the processes that were involved in this stuff. All right. Uh, no, that, that is tantalising because there's a whole, you know, uh, you know, as you said, a kind of um, area of, of documentation and emails out there that we don't know about. Um, Victoria, I want, I want to come on to you on, on this. Though. I mean, what do we... Um, what does the inquiry do about the fact that there's a criminal investigation running at the same time? People, uh, um, and, and these are not, you know, if there are charges brought, these are not light charges. Um, people um, are going to want uh, to stay silent in that. And as Paul was saying earlier, um, you know, there aren't many uh, precedents for how you can do this without compromising the, you know, the, the public inquiry. Do you feel that this is a big handicap 
for the public inquiry. Well, I think that's probably one of the good reasons for having a, a, a judge leading the inquiry because um, you know if it, part of this is going to be around um, evidence. Um, and part of it is going to be around who will participate and who wants to participate and how far that participation can go. Um, and I think it certainly is a complicating factor, but it's not insurmountable. Um, I think the idea that one thunderbolt, such as an email with, you know, as you mentioned, which I'm, you know, they may well exist or such emails may well exist. I don't think that puts paid to the importance of the inquiry, if that's a suggestion. I think in terms of the public I, perception, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I think it's fairly clear that this goes beyond just the quality of the cladding and whose fault it was that the cladding went on and whether the cladding was good or bad. And, you know, I, I think it goes way beyond that. There are other fire safety concerns. Um, there's, you know, I think we, we all know them. They've been rehearsed many, many times. You know, access, alarms, sprinklers. Um, and all of that has been raised before, that all of that forms part and parcel. Um, and, and I think, additionally, um, there is, I think, a, a, a public appetite, to the extent that that really matters, to understand the wider questions and the social <coughs> questions and the political questions. And I don't so think they well, go away we, we come, come with cladding yeah, no, or we, a, no, crimin, you know, a, a criminal in, in, investigation. Right, but I, I, just want, I just want to say, no, I, I, look, I, I take those points, but I, I want to stay on this point. I mean, there's been a decision, which I, um, seems to be you know, probably right, to have this inquiry very quickly and to have some of its findings report very quickly. So, uh, as Martin Morbeck has said, at least some of the preliminary uh, fact-finding will report in, in, the, in the spring. And there's obviously, you know, there's a response to both the fury of the community and to the urgency of trying to see, you know, whether other people are at risk. That, that is important. But you have this criminal inquiry uh, in investigation going on at the same time. And I really want, you know, want your views on whether that means significant amounts of evidence can't get in. I mean, Paul, am I right that people <coughs> can, that the judge can ask people to come but can't force them to give evidence? I think, I think it, it, you, you're, you're in a very difficult space there because um, the judge has the power to compel, but um, people can say, as I understand it, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to give evidence because it may prejudice criminal proceedings. There's, there's one bit of the furniture of an inquiry process which I should mention in this context. I, my instinct, my, my views after 40 years in this business are it's wholly inappropriate in this context, but it can be relevant in, more, in other inquiries. Some inquiries where the prospects of a criminal prosecution are hanging over some of the participants, um, the Attorney General will step in and give an assurance, give an undertaking that what they say on oath in front of the judge at the inquiry will not in itself be used as the basis for criminal prosecutions. This is sometimes talked about rather loosely as an, in, as an indemnity. It's not. It's as narrow, I think, as I, I expressed it just then. Um, so it's not the perfect answer, um, but it does, it, it, in, in some inquiries, it does help it move forward. Where I think it's inappropriate here, for what it's worth, I mean, I'm not advising the Attorney General anymore, but where I think it's inappropriate here is that it would be wholly counterproductive in terms of the healing process that I've spoken to, to have that sort of indemnity. But um, I think ultimately, you know, it, the judge could say to the attorney, I'm, I'm not going to make any progress on this because, you know, 
the Kensington Chelsea are saying they can't say anything um, because their lawyers are telling them um, they're facing the possibility of a corporate manslaughter charge. You know, one way of dealing with this is to give this, this limit indemnity. Will you do it? Um, other than that, I think there is a there is a there is a real risk it can get in the way. But I think I agree with Victoria. I think one of the one of the great values of having a judge leading an inquiry, and quite often when when ministers know they've got to have an inquiry, and you say, and it needs to be judge-led, they say, oh, you would say that, you're a lawyer. Um, you know, why do we need another judge? Apart from the fact, and then the judges say it, because the judicial resources are incredibly scarce. Um, judges are fantastically good, as Victoria said, at, at fact-finding. They understand, strangely enough, they understand the law and the way it works. So if there is a way of weaving through this um, to get to the truth, without prejudicing criminal, um, the possibility of a criminal process, then if anyone can do it, it will be a judge like Sir Martin. Um, good luck to him on that, is what I say. Mm. All right, well, the two of you are actually more confident than I thought you might be on, on being able to stop the criminal investigation fatally compromising the, uh, the, the inquiry, but uh, you're, you're, from what you're hearing or not hearing, um, Oh, I mean, it's, it's obviously... I think it's, it's, it's looming there as a big presence. It's in, it's, we, we've got, it's got to the point for us where we are contacting companies who are, who were sort of tangentially involved four years ago in some element of the, of the, the, the story. And the, um, there are people who have no prospect of being participants, core participants. They were just, they were in the room in a meeting and they're coming back and saying, absolutely, we've been advised by our lawyers, absolutely can't talk to you. you know, yeah, sometimes we say it's them playing a game to get rid of us. But the, it is the ever-present thing. Everyone is, the volume of like, legal advice has been sought by anyone who's had anything to do with any part of it. And there are things that, and there are, there are um, issues around, um, people have spent a, long, a lot of the last few months trying to work out if they're ever in a room where a conversation was had, where someone should have said something. Um, and whether they may have liability uh, as a consequence of that, which I think is, is a background to all of that. One of the other things that Brian Leveson did, sorry, yeah. was um, there were a number of journalists who wanted to give evidence, um, but they were incredibly fearful in the culture in which they were operating that they would lose their jobs if they did. And he granted them anonymity, um, which has all sorts of, of, of difficult implications for the running of an inquiry. Um, he granted them anonymity, um, it meant they couldn't be cross-examined, they couldn't be challenged by the people they were accusing effectively. Um, that went to court. The anonymity um, was coupled with a statement from Brian Leveson saying, obviously you know, it will affect the weight which I attach to their evidence because it hasn't been tested by those who are being attacked. But the, the um, Court of Appeal, I think it was, um, said, this is okay, you can do this. Um, we leave this to the discretion of a judge. They did what, the court of appeal, what sometimes the Court of Appeal do, which is say, in public law, which is good, we're, we're not going to interfere, we're not going to second guess the expert on the ground here. So they let Brian Leveson do that, and it worked quite well. Whether it works here, again, I know, it goes yeah. to the healing process, I know. I, I just um, thought I should throw it in. Right. <laughs> Thanks very much. I, just, I want to come to Victoria on this. Mm. Whether, in general, you feel, obviously it's early days, um, starts tomorrow, 
but whether you, your, your feeling is that this inquiry will go some way to satisfy the anger of the community. And I also wanted to raise one particular point. Mm. The advisory panel that Sir Martin Morbeck has, has assembled for this, and he said, I'm going to set, set out this very diverse panel. Do you think the panel he's chosen is going to serve that purpose? Um, so I, I think that um, the inquiry probably got off to a shaky start um, with regard to um, relations uh, with the community. Um, I don't think that those shaky starts um, um, when Sir Martin came to the community and um, apparently told survivors that he would not, they would not get what they wanted from the inquiry. I, th I think we've, we've come back from there. Um, and I think that there have been um, efforts from, the from those within the inquiry to actually have a more open process um, and to, to, to meet with victims and survivors. Um, I'm not sure that that has gone far enough. I'm not sure that the panel is good enough. I'm not sure that the um, process of consultation has been deep enough, has been meaningful enough, um, has been long enough. Um, there is still very much a sense that whilst everyone wants this to happen um, and wants this to happen sooner rather than later and not drag on for years and years and years, um, that this is all moving very, very, very fast. Um, I think we all know that the applications for core participant status closed at the end of last week. Um, there are still people in hotels who are unable to leave their hotels, let alone instruct lawyers, let alone fill in bits of paper, let alone, quite frankly, even conceive of whether they want to be part of this process. Um, and I think that is a fundamental problem with how this can possibly work. It's actually a fundamental mm. problem with, mm. with the, almost with the model. And it, it's something that's troubled me right from the start. It never troubled me before, and I don't know why. Maybe it was the sort of starkness of the images, the awfulness of what happened. But on the one hand, everyone wants to know what went wrong as quickly as possible. We need an inquiry. On the other hand, as Victoria said, the idea that people who must be at the very heart of this, must inform the terms of reference, must be involved in core participation status, who are still so incredible. I mean, I, one can't imagine the level of trauma. How do you square that circle? I don't know. I think there is a potential flaw in the process there, and I don't know how we deal with that. Right. I'm going to come to questions in a second. Chris, any last word on this? So I think one of the other, the other things that... To, and it sort of partly relates to the sort of the, the thunderbolt premise. Is the I think the the capacity for how broad I don't I mean the, the, this could take I mean I appreciate the timescales, but the depth that this could end up going to to get beyond to all the sort of the issues um, around sort of the social factors around the tower might take years, but equally there are there are issues that no one has yet discussed. For example, the uh, around sort of safety, around, for example, furniture. So building, like, building regulations are obviously being discussed. Furniture is the probably the principal cause of why there's so much cyanide poisoning in the tower, because it's all treated with retardants that release cyanide when it burns. The, 
there are a whole range of sort of third tier sort of issues that the inquiry is going to have to make a decision about. And some of them are going to be, and I think furniture might be one of them, are going to be quite hard to, to say we're not going to deal with that. If you've got, we now know, large numbers of people who did get cyanide poisoning as their sort of principal um, affliction from the tower, you have to make a decision about what, what part of the, the, the framework we put around to keep that tower safe it was that failed whether it was the furniture, which is a completely different policy area, it turns out, the building regulation or the building regulation. This thing can sprawl and sprawl and sprawl. Okay, well, we'll, we'll, co- we'll come back to that. Let's have some questions. Uh, here on the aisle, I'm going to take them in twos just because I think there will be a lot. Here on the aisle and here in the, here in the front afterwards. Uh, Joshua Rosenberg, can, can I um, uh, return to, from your question about the, the legal about point? About the... Uh, the legal point and the, the problems of a prosecution. I mean, you start from the point of view that the families want nothing less than murder convictions, and you translate that into manslaughter convictions, and you think, is any one individual going to be convicted of the manslaughter of 80 people? And you think that's pretty unlikely. And then you think, well, is any corporation going to be convicted of corporate manslaughter? And I think that's very unlikely as well, for the, for the reasons that Chris has just been mentioning. There, there are a huge number of actors, to use your term, involved in all of this. Uh, and they all could have done things to prevent it. But I think it's going to be very hard to prove that any one of them was responsible for it. And that means any one corporation, organization, or whatever. Um, and although the police are grandstanding and appealing to and, and trying to support the relatives and victims by saying, yes, you know, we must have lots of prosecutions, as if it was their responsibility to decide on that issue. I don't think in the end there is going to be uh, a, a successful conviction for corporate manslaughter, which is what the families all want. And if that's right, then we really ought to go back to first principles and say, should we develop what Paul was saying about an immunity and say, maybe the thing to say is, there are not going to be any prosecutions. There are not going to be any, uh, any criminal convictions. And then all the people who are not talking to Chris would feel able to talk to the inquiry and we might find out what, was, what went wrong. The, my last point is this. The inquiry takes the place of part of the inquest. Uh, the inquest exists formally but doesn't go into examining what happened because the inquiry takes that responsibility on. It should, I suggest, take over the criminal responsibility as well with the support of the police investigating and it will be the inquiry that reaches a verdict on who was responsible for the fire and the deaths rather than the courts. Joshua, thanks for that. Let's take that question on, it, on its own. Uh, Paul. Um, I agree with a lot of what Joshua said, but I, I, I see the last bit as um, hugely problematic under the 2005 Act, as Joshua knows as well as I do. Um, the inquiry cannot make findings of criminal liability, so that's not what you were saying. Um, what you were saying was that they would effectively, having granted the indemnity, they would say, if there was a prosecution, these people would have been guilty, um, but then the inquiry doesn't have the power to punish them. Um, so they only then get punished in the court of public opinion, and I think that is, um, that's quite a big ask for the, for the survivors and the residents at the moment, I'm afraid. It's a very lawyer's solution, Joshua, which is why I understand it and agree with you, but... Would that be, would that be satisfactory? Um, 
no. I mean, look, just because there may not be successful prosecutions, um, which may indeed be the outcome, I think um, most of us, and certainly all of the victims and um, the, 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 the survivors would hope that isn't the case. That may be the case, but that doesn't mean to say that one mustn't try and one mustn't get to a stage in the investigation at which it's apparent that that is not going to be possible. Um, and I think that what you're describing is trying to um, cut short the process of investigation in order to enable the inquiry effectively. Um, and I think that that would be um, a, an absolute dreadful mistake um, because if you cut short the investigation necessarily you haven't got to the point at which you can understand whether there can be successful prosecutions um, and then in, in, in terms of you know the powers of the um, the, the powers the inquiry have in terms of um, you know proclaiming that this would have been um, a, possibly a criminal um, conviction in the end it, it doesn't begin to go far enough um, and then of course you know, we've talked about the difficulties of um, the, the, the police investigation, the criminal investigation getting in the way effectively. But actually, um, assuming that it's being um, carried out properly, um, actually that investigation can actually probably bring some evidential value that the inquiry itself would not be able to access. So in and of itself, it must have um, great value to that extent, I think. I think the, on the actor's point, I actually think the, in the last sort of month, I've drifted in the other direction to you. So the, what's that, there's a legal term for an, sort of an artist familiar with the state of their art. Um, the, uh, I can't remember what the, the term of art is, the, um, between 2006, when the combination of companies who worked at Grenfell uh, renovated the Chilcots estate in Camden and the beginning of the Grenfell works, there were enormous fires in uh, Dubai, 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 Shanghai, Beijing. Um, in between the moment when they specified the works and the work starting, there was an enormous fire in Melbourne. And almost These are all sort of identical situations. I think it's actually one of the things we've sort of lean towards recently, it's become increasingly hard to work out how a reasonably competent set of companies working in that industry could not have known this. And it's also the case that the, the building control process is a functional building control process, so you have to sort of present your evidence, and they must have seen their own evidence, right? They, it, the onus is on them to prove, and they must have known how weak it was, or whether, it, I mean, if it existed. So I think the, I actually think the, I started off sceptical and have drifted more and more to thinking they, like, it, I mean, I, th I think they, it, a reasonable view would be actually it's quite, it's quite possible. It's also a relatively small number of companies <coughs> working consistently on it throughout. It's not a lot of chopping and changing from 2013 onwards. But, but, but where that leads us, though, and I think this is quite important, I know you want to get more questions and I accept that at the moment... Um, you can't begin to put these sort of questions to the survivors and <coughs> victims' families. But if it isn't possible to weave a way through that, in effect, you're offering 
the, 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 the survivors a choice. You're saying, you want this inquiry to go ahead. You want to know what went wrong. You want convictions. If you want both, you're going to have to have a three-year gap. Is that okay? And I think that's... I mean, putting so it in a gap that, between... You're going to have to pause the inquiry. Do if there the isn't a way through, do the criminal... And then start and again. And then start again, yeah. But it, it, it yeah. strikes me that if that is the case, once it's established that that is the yeah. case, which it may be, it may not yeah. be at yeah. this stage, that's a conversation to have. Okay, and it's a decision to be I, made. I just think it's important um, that if it, if, it, if it is... if it, I agree, we're not... You're not yeah, yeah. But if it turned out that was the case, then that I think it's very important that everyone understands that that is a conversation that then needs to be right, had. And this is a really, yeah. really important point because it's not inconceivable that there is such a, such a conversation, but it would have to happen quite soon. I mean, okay, we've got the inquiry running now till you know reporting first in in in, in March. But if um, if it was emerging that the criminal investigation was really withholding all kinds of things, uh, can can you see such a conversation happening? Levis, I mean, Leveson had a similar had a similar set of constraints around it. And the, was it, the part of what went into Leveson 2 was stuff that they couldn't touch in Leveson 1 because, I, mean, I think I remember this correctly, because there was a criminal... Leveson was much, much easier, as I said, because there were so many examples of pretty similar, similar egregious behaviour, apart from the ones that were subject to the criminal prosecution. So, I mean... You might be able to do some of the structural things. I, I really do. Yeah. This is first. first. I really do want to get. Yes, um, come on. Sorry. Small, small yes. people. A question here at the front, and then um, man uh, right at the back. And we take those. Those two, please go ahead. Uh, I'm Purnima from Race on the Agenda, and um, I feel one of the co uh, key issues that needs to be looked into in this inquiry is a local uh, governments and central governments' compliance with the public sector equality duty. Now, uh, the terms of reference has scope for looking, uh, inquiring into this, uh, but I feel that the spirit in which this inquiry is approached would m mean that it wouldn't actually consider seriously the local and central government's compliance with the public sector equality duty. So, Paul, when you say, for example, uh, social housing policy should not be within the scope of this inquiry, that, uh, I feel that that, those, uh, that plus what um, the chair of the inquiry said in his letter to the Prime Minister saying that um, many of the broader issues that were raised are of um, social, political and economic um, the social, political, and economic issues, and therefore should be considered parallelly through some other mechanism, but not through the inquiry, means that the inquiry will not seriously look into local and central governments' compliance with the public sector equality duty, which requires public authorities to have due regard to the uh, general duties in all its policy and practice decisions, including social housing. And in the terms of reference, when it's looking at refurbishment, um, modification, um, um, construction of buildings, those all allow the inquiry to look into um, public authorities' compliance with the public sector equality duty. And when looking at the relationship between the local authority and uh, the communities it's served, uh, and there were many issues around, for example, uh, planning, uh, need, the need to look at planning because um, uh, an academy was built uh, which uh, made it difficult for the um, uh, fire uh, brigade to get 
to Grenfell when yeah. the fire took place, but uh, the residents said that there was a consultation, but it was a tick box consultation which didn't take into account their views about uh, the dangers of building an yeah. academy there which would block uh, access to uh, the building. So uh, many of these things would need to be looked at under the public sector equality duty as well. And okay. I feel that the spirit of uh, the inquiry would prevent that from happening. Okay, thanks. R really, really good point, and thank you very much. Let's go, go to the man at the back as well. Yeah, Dave Nita, lawyer and poet. Um, my question to the panel is about is a question around uh, diversity and inclusion, and it links to the question how to run a public inquiry, and picks up on, Paul, your point about healing. And the question is really, I mean, I attended some of the early meetings with the with the, uh, the panel, and one of the um, things that the residents seem to be disgruntled about is the makeup of the panel, that it's not diverse enough. Now, picking up on your points about inquiries having an ability to have healing within the process, I was just checking to see what your views might be on the lack of diversity on the panel, and I might as well just throw in there the fact that last week David Lammer re re um, released his review on race, um, racism within the criminal justice system effectively. And uh, for fear of getting the answer of, we don't sort of want to put people of color on the panel, panel uh, just for the sake of it and not being qualified, can we just agree that we're way beyond that in our country and there are many, many, many qualified people within an ethnic minority community who could serve on such panels, and especially coming from the backdrop of the Lawrence Inquiry decades ago where that was taken into consideration and since it is that the residents are calling for a diverse panel mm. what would be your views on that especially with regard to the healing aspect you mentioned thank you thank you thank you um, another great question uh, victoria can i come to you i mean uh, particularly on this panel on composition the panel question and we bring in both questions but um i really want to hear I, 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 we've touched on it but i I hear your views again about this. Okay, so firstly on the equality duty point, I think that that is an integral part of looking at the whole the whole question, and I think that forms part of every step of the way, uh, which is the point of the equality duty, right? It, it's supposed to be um, it, it in part of uh, part of how all our public authorities work in everything that they do. So I think that that effectively goes without saying, in in my view. Um, are we making that sufficiently visible? No. Um, and I think that the panel goes to that point. Um, the composition of the, the panel. The composition of the panel goes to that point. Do, do you agree with this point that it's not diverse? Or doesn't appear to be diverse enough? I think that there have been legal proceedings issued yesterday um, around this, and we'll see what that has to say. I think, in my opinion, it's probably not. Um, but let's see where, where we go. Um, but I think it goes beyond what you say, which is incredibly important. Um, and um, it goes beyond trying to reflect what we saw in Stephen Lawrence, what we've seen very recently in, in David Lammy's report, that we, we need to have this kind of uh, composition, this kind of process, these kind of um, professional people, these kind of lay people from all kinds of backgrounds, not just in terms of um, racial and ethnic diversity, but in all kinds of backgrounds so that we see um, participation in all of these processes which reflect the community. Okay, so I, I think that goes without saying. Um, but I think that as a, as a wider society, 
there's an interest in making that happen. I think that's very clear. But there is also another specific point with regard to this inquiry, um, that a lot of what led to this fire, um, the build-up, the lack of... Um, the lack of listening from public authorities um, has created um, a very, very particular environment here, a very, very particular set of concerns from the survivors, which I think has to be taken into account throughout the inquiry and throughout any of these processes. Um, and to not have the ability to see and the sensitivity to realise that to set up an inquiry that somehow reflects the kind of treatment that people <laughs> suffered beforehand um, will mean that it, it can't really work and it can't have that healing process as part of it. Paul, um, can I just pick up briefly on the public sector equality duty? I, I, I think I agree with what you say. Um, I've seen the public sector equality duty in use in, in government for as long as it's been around. I think one of the dangers of, of framing a duty in the way that it is framed is that it's very easy for it to be nothing but a tick box mechanism. Right at the end of any policy, when you're developing a government policy, someone says, oh, we better public sector equality proof it. It's like we had to rural proof everything for a while when... I can't remember which minister government it was, but wanted, was very worried about the rural community. So right at the end, you have to tick the rural box, rural proofing thing as well. And I think the fundamental point, the really good point you're making, is that in looking at the way the public sector, public, the public sector equality duty was carried out here, is to look beyond, was it just a tick box exercise? Yes, we consulted this community, we consulted that community, we thought about it tick box or whether there was a more profound exercise of that duty. I think that's going to be what, what, what I will find interesting. I, I, mean, I agree with you on the diversity panels, and I, I'm not up and to speed. And this panel. I'm not trying to trap you. You have views on this panel, Chris? I don't know who, I don't this know who, I don't know who, I don't know no, what. No, not this panel. No, 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 no. This, this is, this is, what I don't know is, what I, I'm not up to speed on, on there's, a, there's a provision to appoint assessors. Um, that's the way to get. Mm diversity of thought, diversity of ethnicity, diversity, diversity of beliefs. And I'm not up to speed of where it is, but if Bindman's have issued the proceedings, presumably it hasn't moved far enough yet. Okay, <coughs> okay fine. Let's take, let's take two more. Um, here and uh, straight behind. So, um, all right, you first and then. Yeah. Uh, hi, I'm Una O'Brien. Um, I used to work at the Department of Health, and I just wanted to make two brief comments and ask, ask a question. Um, I, in the late 1990s, I was the secretary to the public inquiry into the Bristol baby heart scandal where I think there were over 1,800 families affected by um, surgery that didn't go as it should have done. And one of the things I learned from running that inquiry is that very deep attention is needed throughout the entire life of the inquiry on the relationship with the people who were directly affected. In our case, it was families based all over the southwest of England and South Wales. And we had people whose job it was to do that within the inquiry secretariat. Just an observation is that I think there has been a lot of learning about this over the years, particularly uh, in the Mid-Staffs Inquiry mm -hmm. and other health inquiries where there have been uh, fatalities 
that uh, the inquiries have been set up quite quickly afterwards, in some cases years later, where people thought everything had gone well and had subsequently uh, found themselves caught up in a public inquiry. So there's a lot of knowledge within the health system uh, as to how to uh, really have a strong public inquiry that has that sensitivity and um, a reach out on truth and reconciliation that could be shared. Uh, mm. That was my first point. The second one is that I have never yet come across um, a, a community in, in a health inquiry who wanted anything other than the full and comprehensive report put in front of them. So while I appreciate, Chris, your point about it's a communication point, um, I, I feel this is an absolutely <coughs> essential component of any inquiry that a full account is made available. I'm not, not proposing you don't, don't publish yeah. a full account. Yeah. It's just a case of whether when you're dealing with different audiences. So I mean, the, one of the fundamental things is yeah. there are another 95-odd buildings that have across England that have the same, basically identical configuration on the outside. There are another 100 on top of that that have dangerous, unsafe cladding elsewhere. And the which we haven't really talked about, actually, that, that this is a... It could have been any one of 300 bu uh, 200 buildings. And the, some of the questions that are... Like a, a narrative account that explains the, the problems with Grenfell won't go far enough. Yeah. I see you mean... You mean the implications? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I think you can... Yeah. You, they, like there, there maybe needs to be an appendix on yeah. what do we do about building regulations, yeah. what do we do about, about um, furniture regulations and there may need to be a narrative thing about Grenfell so that we can just deal with the fact that we have m multiple different audiences needing different things from it. But obviously we have to publish everything and we have, yeah. to, okay. have to go the full way. Mm. And sorry, and your, your, my, your question. question is, yeah. um, there's been a lot of innovation over the years. I mean, going back even as far as Strange Ways, Piper Alpha, Labrick Grove, um, in the creation of a, a formal part two and the use of seminars. And this is something we did on the Bristol Inquiry. We held uh, eight seminars in public on these wider policy themes, so one of which was um, safety in, in children's surgery. Um, very broad ranging, and because we used a seminar methodology, we didn't have to apply the rules of evidence that are undertaken in hearings. And I particularly wanted to ask Paul, um, has there, is there anything we can draw from that aspect of public inquiries that could be okay. useful? Yeah. For well, th thanks. Uh, no, I, and I want, to, I want to come just two, can you pass the microphone two forwards and just take another question as well. Yes, you. I'm Susie Symes, ex-Treasury um, and local resident. I wanted to pick up on what's just been said, particularly in relation to learning from inquiries. Inquiries always talk about learning lessons. Inquiries always talk about learning lessons, uh, but we don't seem yet, particularly with this one, to have been learning lessons from previous inquiries. I know this is what you've been talking about, and you made some very important points, particularly uh, Paul. But I, you know, one goes back, one thinks about Aberfan, which has taken 50 years for some of the truth to come out, particularly about the use of charitable funds, which is an issue not explicitly included in this inquiry, but clearly of great importance to the public. So, uh, and also the Stephen Lawrence inquiry, where a number of lessons, including the difficulties around the appointment of the judge, um, which afterwards proved to be a good appointment, as, I, as I'm sure this one will, but so many things that could have been and should have been anticipated in setting up this inquiry, including <coughs> the diversity issues, which are really central to this, 
don't seem to have been. It's as if officials just decided to reinvent the wheel again. And as a former official, I find that profoundly uh, depressing. Um, and just on the panel point, it seems to me there's a bit of a confusion of terminology. As I understand it, yes, there is an expert team, um, and some of us residents have met some of them, and that's a very uh, pale and, and indeed male uh, team so far. But as I understand it, the judge has not decided um, and appears not to be choosing to sit with a panel in the way that McPherson chose to do, and this judge and this inquiry absolutely should and must, in my view. I think there's no escape from that. It's essential, if it's to be taken seriously and to do its job, that the judge must sit with the same sort of panel that McPherson did. And okay. I'd like to know this panel's views on that. Okay, re re really good points as well. Paul, do you want to kick I'll off? I'll pick up briefly, pick up on Susie's last point first. Um, I, I would put it, I mean, you put it very, very strongly, I would put it nowhere near as strongly as that. I th I've seen how valuable assessors can be. So you, you put all the responsibility on the judge, because that's what judges are really good at, um, dealing with it. But you, you give them assessors, I've seen it work extremely well, so I wouldn't put it as categorically as that at all. I think there is much value in, as we did in Leveson, in having a judge as the single person at the top of it all, but with an excellent and visible and, in the case of Leveson, sometimes quite noisy group of assessors. Um, I was smiling, as you said, lessons are never learned. It was the eternal cry of those of us who were in the government legal service who, year after year, had to run, set up yet another inquiry saying, you know, why is there no repository of expertise, why isn't there a model, why aren't lessons learned? They, I mean, they, there are one or two of my former colleagues in the room who are smiling along with me, not in a cynical way, but in a slightly sad way. Um, Una's point about looking after the victims, absolutely, and as I understand it, um, I may be wrong, but I think my good friend Bernard Richmond, who's, um, apart from anything else, one of the very few QCs who has actually lived in a council tower block at some point in his life. I, th I think his, his focus is on victims, um, which seems to me putting victims not just at the heart of the inquiry, but at the very top of the inquiry. If you've got one member of the top team of council whose primary focus is that, that seems to me quite a good start to deal with in this point. And the point about seminars or, or something <coughs> else to bring in, if, you know, given that the wider social questions are not better or worse, going to be addressed in this inquiry. What yeah. are the other ways in yeah. which they might be picked up? Um, any, any thoughts on Well, I think on one, of the, one of the issues that we've sort of skirted around is that the, um, what is the counterfactual world that we are trying to avoid? What is the aim of the, what is the thing we're trying to avoid? And I think one of the awkwardnesses and difficulties is where the domain of, where we're sort of moving away from the domain of uh, a judicial inquiry into the domain of politics. So is it, had there not been a fire, would we have been happy with the way things were running at KCTMO? Is it just the, the deaths and the fire that we're unhappy about? Or do we think that there is a, that had we basically had a fire safe building with all of the same social infrastructure around it, that would have been fine. Um, and that is a, I think that is going to be a thing that was going to be, that's an area where I suspect there will be disappointment where the, the explaining the fire won't suffice for some people and for some, I think that's, that's the only question 
Mm. The only question we should be exploring. All right, so we still uh, got, uh, may I just say something? Our events normally end, uh, bang on time, and, and this one is now due to end. The, um, and if you, we are very respectful of people's diaries. The panel's very kindly said, um, anticipating there'd be quite a lot of questions, that they can go on for like a long five minutes from now, and I'm very happy to do that. If you have to slip away, do. If you want to stay, delighted to have you with us. I'm um, going five minutes. Yeah, five minutes, and there would not be more. Let's just take these two questions uh, then, both here towards the back. Thank you. Hello. Uh, my name is Melanie Feeler. Uh, uh, I am um, a member of the community. Uh, I'm not very used to public speaking, so please bear with me. Um, so I have been a community uh, member for many years, but also a volunteer, as it were, on the ground uh, since the morning of the fire. Um, and uh, with respect to the panel, uh, I would, well, I would suggest that it is uh, incredibly important for there to be more understanding, listening and working hand in hand with the community. We are an incredibly uh, diverse and strong community and to share knowledge and to have some more communication and listening between uh, the community and the panel in a much more open manner would be incredibly helpful, uh, particularly to those of us who are trying to uh, support incredibly traumatized people. Uh, as uh, Victoria very uh, kindly pointed out, there are people still in hotel rooms. They're, they are in desperate need. This is uh, running very quickly for them. and. Uh, Personally, um, I am now uh, in the process of helping with other members of the community find uh, as, and get as many statements as we can from people who haven't had their statements taken, who have slipped through the cracks. Mm. Uh, it is, it, it, it's a very big job and it's a big ask of the community. So my question would be, um, how would you suggest that the panel uh, uh, well, when I say the panel, I mean Sir Martin and his advisors, because, uh, as it's pointed out, it's not actually a panel as such. Uh, how would you suggest that it could be, this could be embraced? Um, does it need to have more uh, ethnic diversity or more uh, input from the community? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed for making that point. And there was one more question. Yes. Hi, uh, my name is Kate Webb and I'm from Shelter and it's sort of to echo Victoria's point about the difficulty in actual fact of trying to draw a distinction between what happened in the aftermath and those broader social policy issues. Um, from working on the ground, one of the problems with the, the way the council was responding was there was just a complete breakdown in trust, which wasn't unreasonable because normally if you are made homeless in Kensington and Chelsea, you would be sent elsewhere and you would be put in incredibly poor quality temporary accommodation. So it's that assumptions that people entirely rationally brought to the process which right. made it so fraught and one of the reasons it was so difficult. So the question for the panel is how, A, the judge can actually go about unpicking those more complex social policy issues which do directly impact on the way the local authority handled the aftermath. Um, and also some thoughts on how the Prime Minister could pick up this vaguer general mm. promise to look at social housing, because at the moment we're told that the Housing Minister will go and visit some housing stage, which doesn't really feel weighty enough. Yes, she said the Housing Minister, Alex Sharma, will personally meet and hear from as many social housing tenants as possible <coughs> across the country. Um, 
I, absolutely. Um, we're going to have to take quick last thoughts, which don't do justice to these two points. But uh, um, oh. I, I couldn't help noticing when you made your last point, a number of former civil servants um, chuckling in a deeply cynical way. Um, I, I hanker. Inquiries are a fundamental part of our constitutional structure. I think we, we, we trash them at our peril. Um, a bit that's missing from our constitutional structure, and I'm old enough to remember the glories of royal commissions. Classically in the old days, a royal commission would have looked at these big issues. Margaret Thatcher killed them for all sorts of reasons that are understandable and legitimate, but something like that, some sort of broader process um, that is less inquisitorial, more, more like UNA's seminars, but on a very formal basis. I think that is what's missing from our constitutional structure. Nothing came in place of royal commissions, and I think we need something. And the inquiry like this highlights very much why we need it. Thank you. Victoria. Um, so I think there are still a number of questions sort of hanging, but um, I think perhaps in terms of community engagement, so I'm not sure we've talked so much about that. Um, I think that it cannot be understated how much the community has come together in the aftermath of this tragedy and how much it has been the community um, as opposed to government either local or central who really has, which really has rallied um, in order to give the much needed and quite frankly still um, lamentable support to um, survivors. So um, I think that part of, part of looking at the aftermath would be recognising that and understanding where local and central government was um, and making sure that if ever anything remotely like this happens again, they do a lot better. Um, and I think that to have the community as part of the process is imperative. Um, and I think that that goes hand in hand with all other types of diversity in this, in this process. Great. I think the, what might give you some reassurance is that the, one of the critical metrics by which this inquiry will be judged at the end of it is whether the community feels it answers its questions. If we, if you, so don't remember the Hillsborough inquiry, the sort of the defining, the, the, fi the, the final one, the final, there's a moment where a guy stuck his thumbs, gave a thumbs up out the window of Liverpool Town Hall where he was reading it in the, in the lock-in, one of the community. And from that moment on, the, the, the Hillsborough Inquiry was going to be written up as a great success because the community thought it was a success. So in that sense, they have a very strong incentive to make sure that the community are properly engaged and meaningfully engaged so that the document they get at the end is one that answers the questions they have. On the... Um, question of social housing. I think that, that, that gut cuts this is the point I was making earlier, that, the, that where you draw the lines in an inquiry like this and where the, the beginning and the end frame is, what is the acceptable counterfactual to which we are aiming? Like it, it, is a, it is a difficult question. There always has to be a line drawn somewhere. On the, I mean, there are lots of things the government has to, Housing is, a, is one of the is possibly the single worst run area of government policy. It has been since the 40s. The, um, the whole, there are so many things they could do and so many things they, that they need to do. But the, I mean, the obvious things 
that they should be talking about in the aftermath of Grenfell will be around borrowing limits for councils, restrictions on social housing building, and build quality. This is an opportunity to talk about why it is that we inspect and uh, the inspection regime and the, the you know, Parker Morris, basically. Yeah. You know. yeah. Chris, thanks for taking us to those much wider questions. Inevitably, a lot of questions are hanging. I mean, I mean some, of the, some of the biggest ones. Thank you all very much uh, for coming. Um, we reached out to a lot of people at uh, this event. Many can't come and are watching on the live stream. Thank you for your input as well. And uh, thanks very, very much for your questions and comments. And thank you, above all, to the panel. Thank you.